Who do you cast as Mr. Tumnus? In the Emerald Fennell version? Yeah. Barry Keoghan. Yeah, you do. You do. With the horns. And He's, you know, totally, yeah. That. And then you'd get... Some ears and a, Rosamund and a, Pike as the Ice Queen. Totally. Oh, my God. Born to play. Right, so Richard, it's almost Richard E. Grant as Aslan. And the wardrobe. Just with the maid. With the whole of no caps. I want it mo caps. <laughs> yeah. I want it on all fours. Purring. <laughs> We are back Sorry, in earnest. Scream. This is not our first episode of the year, but it is the first time we've seen each other to record mm. since 2023. How was your time off? Do you have a good time? Yeah, it was fine. It was, it was nice enough. It was La- as good last as yours. week, last episode week, we lied. You asked me how my Christmas was, and I had to be like, "Well, I can't." Yeah, he, I don't he, know. He, he, he. we were being mischievous. Mm. No, the, um, it was fine. It was nice. So, yes, this is going to be a different year. You know, I just it's just it's a new year. It's a new, new year. opportunities. New new stuff. We're going for it, man. We're feeling excited. Yeah, but you had a, a very nice time. Yeah, it was in great. The sun, some winter sun in. Would you like to tell people? I was in Cape Town. You can follow my Instagram. Look at that. See such photos of you. No, 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 no. Not just like oh, some photos. You took your drone. I did. You took some drone photos. You took you took lonely planet level photos of your own holiday. (laughs) And I thought any minute now, James is going to quit the podcast and move to Dubai and be one of those podcasters (laughs) who just posts with their bum out in front of in front of the Burj Khalifa, like it gets two hundred million likes from it. Uh, Drone is like my favorite toy ever. It's like a. Mm. It's so much fun. Um, I actually it, it crashed. Not crashed. It like. I sent it like way out, like the furthest I've ever sent <laughs> the it. South African military had to like shoot it down. <laughs> so I was like, on, we were on the beach and I've never really been able to send my drone so far away because you have to have line of sight the whole time you do it. And there's nothing like line of sight, like the endless void of the ocean. So sure. I was like, I'm going to send it all the way out. Obviously, like you get these as you're flying it, you always have the number of minutes left in your battery. And depending on how fast or how like much you're pushing it and if you're recording, that, that number sort sure. of goes up and down. So I got to like, you get like 38 minutes on a battery and I got to like eight minutes left and I'm like, cool, like it'll take a thing. And then at like six minutes it goes, oh, by the way, like battery might want to think about it. And I was like, cool. So I start bringing it back and it basically automatically comes back. And then it got to like really nearby. I'm talking like, you know, 20 meters in front of me in the villa in front, hovering over the villa in front. And it has the setting where it will never just drop out of the sky, yeah. but instead it will just, when it's dead descend. it will just descend slowly and so i'm like bringing it in like almost there and all of a sudden i just lose control the drone just goes like this <laughs> into the tree of the villa oh, no. and i had to like knock on the door and be like i'm so sorry i don't know how to say this but i accidentally crashed my drone into your tree can i come and get it and the guy was like yeah he's like so not interested in helping me but i was like i'm really sorry did, you think, he was like, did, he, did he think you were like pervin on him you know like some sort of yeah. surveillance thing he was like, british which felt like i thought you could have sort of understood I was oh just a bit he, of a he you know what if he's if he's mm. british and he's moved to south africa he's done he's done talking to brits mate. oh he's, he's done he's with clocked you. out he's um, like why are you here what i will say once again on i did do a long overnight flight yes 11 oh, hours yes. to okay. cape town i love to play this game with you where i have a quick look mm. at what people are watching mm-hmm. just to get us it's always a really good census when do you get mm. to see what a few hundred people are watching at one time 11 hours or did you say so, so, so this is what you need to think about it's it was a night flight so 8 30 p.m take off night flight so everyone has to sleep and it's direct 11 hours and so, it's the same time zone you're going to as well same right? time zone so you've got to think about people are going to probably watch one thing and then they're going to fall asleep or they're going to fall asleep to something. So there were two films of note. One, which you'll probably get, which is one of the biggest films of the year. And number two, which I thought was interesting. So Barbie. Barbie was number one. Barbie people, number I think, were re-watching Barbie because yeah. everyone saw it. Mm-hmm. And I reckon people are like, I'm going to fall asleep. Yeah. I'll enjoy some Barbie. Film number two. 
was... I'll give you a clue. No, it's okay. Let me see if I can do it. Was it a big film of last year? Big in what sense? Uh, popular. It was... So it wasn't Oppenheimer? No. Okay. That's too, that's too much. It's too, too much. Too much brain. Too I much thought, brain. I would have thought, so it's, oh, so it's something you could relax to? Yes. With, uh, is it the Jennifer Lawrence? No, no, no but that no would have been feelings. good. Okay. Um, Didn't see that on there. But maybe not. Give me a clue then. It was a com- commercial and critical failure. Oh, uh, Indiana Jones. Yes. Yeah. Which, Which is I exactly think, the yes. film I put on when I flew out from Florida. And I, I, I didn't finish it, but I, I even thought that opening 20 minutes, I thought, this is so dull. <laughs> this is so boring. But that works as like the second film that people would watch because you go, I didn't see that, but I could totally go for very easy Indiana Jones. Yeah, I will, if I fall asleep, yeah. sure. Yeah, I, I, already... like, I like Harrison Ford. I never did see that. Did you watch that? Yeah, I watched a bit of it on a plane, exactly mm. as you said. Yeah, and I, yeah. So I was like, yes, of course. It was like lots of pink, pink and bright blue, and then the and murky then this, brown, this of... of the murky brown, of just like you know Harrison Ford riding a horse through the. <laughs> it's not Harrison Ford riding the <laughs> no, horse. It's, not, is it? no. it's his 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 face on some thirty five year old. So that was the sort of new uh, sense, the new plane census. I, oh, I love it. I absolutely love seeing. What so, what did watch. you watch though? Were you, were you saving this for a bonus? So my way. Okay, wait, wait, sorry. I'm just going to say this. So this episode, we're going to be talking about new films, mm-hmm. namely Ferrari and. Uh, anyone but you. Yeah, the Sydney Sweeney Glenn yes. Powell movie. Right. But we have a bonus episode coming out this week where James and I are just going to talk about every single film we watched and uh, and consumed over the mm. Christmas New Year period, okay? Yeah. New and old. So those movies include... Oh, uh, Dirty Dancing. Uh, Silence of the Lambs. Blackberry. Air. Uh, uh, May, December. <laughs> uh, the Thing. Um, um, I'm getting up my list. Uh, the Lobster. Yes. Annie Hall. Right. Um, uh, Dream Scenario. And yes, um, and so you've caught up on some 2023 stuff and you're also watching my list old stuff, filled in some blanks. Yes. We'll be talking about those in the bonus. It's like a, surveying the buffet of films we engaged with. There are, uh, there are two backlogs, George. There's the recently yes. missed and there's the endless pile of just yeah. choose any year. These just need to be... Need to get I think done. I said this in our episode before the end of the year or, or last week's episode, whenever it, the last time we recorded with each other, mm. which is that I'm keen this year to make my films that I've missed this year list much shorter. Disappear. So yeah. I'm going to try and see as many films as I can yeah. that come out this year. So when I get to the end of the year, my you backlog, actually... otherwise the eternal list is just going to grow and grow yeah. and grow. You're it's not like, watching you know dumb it money. It's the difference you know? <laughs> between deficit and debt, isn't it? Yes. The deficit is this year's list. The debt is yeah. the eternal list. Listen up, Jeremy Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's I like, did... oh my God. <laughs> Richie. I did watch Dumb Money as well. That was also <laughs> yes. my list. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, um, yeah, I think I, I think I roughly counted like over 80 films in 2023 or something. Yeah, I'm about that. It's about 1.6 films a week. Mm. But like some people email in and they're saying 200. Oh, are they counting rewatches? Um, they must be. Because um, like, that's insane. They never go outside. <laughs> yeah. You just have to sit in film in the morning, film in the afternoon, film in the evening. Well, I'm, this year I'm hoping that I can beat my all-time record, beat my 2020 record. It's 100 so 20, 137, maybe 140. Yeah. I want to I want to get over 150 at least. Wow, yeah. Which I think I can do, because like- So you'll need to see- is it, We do this show, so there's yeah. always a need to see a film. You'll need to see almost all the new releases, just as a baseline. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That'll and, get you to like 65. Yeah. The films so, you're, so, you want to see that are I'm out that are interested. one to two a week, let's say on average, I'm seeing one new film a week, just on average. Mm. So that's 52 weeks done. You don't have to done. pepper that with things you've, you've not seen. Mm. I could probably or, bump that up. So I could probably do 
Yeah, right. I, yeah, you're right. Let's do 70 oh, films. I just died, sorry. You keep talking. I could do 70 films. I think I could do 70 new films and then the, fill up the rest with old ones, maybe. Okay, so you're including rewatchers. No. No, no, no. Oh, these are these old, all new discoveries. Oldies, not, yeah. New discoveries. Absolutely all these. I never count rewatches. But I, I, I'm, already, I'm already accepting the fact I will watch much fewer TV, much fewer TV episodes, mm. less TV, less fewer episodes. Well James has this thing. I don't know if anyone's ever picked up on this, but look, I, 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 I'm an English graduate. Can I just okay? say, George started the grammar correction. No, 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 uh, no yeah, I oh, didn't. No, I didn't. When? You, you correct me on my grammar constantly. No, I don't. Right. No, I don't. I okay. don't. The evidence don't. is, is no, no. the evidence is 110 episodes No, 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 no. no. Yeah. Redrafting an email with you Well, not grammar. Thing. Not grammar. You'll correct. You'll just correct little things as I talk. As such as? Uh, or it could be any. Oh, no, 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 no. You on grammar. I will. I will correct you if you mispronounce someone's name. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that. it. Or, or, that. Or, that, in general, but that's okay. That's acceptable because yeah. that's baseline fact. But, but, but. <laughs> look, I'm an English graduate. I, I'm confident in my command of English. But yeah. for some reason, in my entire education, mm. the difference between less and fewer eluded me. Mm. Okay, and. I um, just have it. A lot of a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't use them. Correctly. And I and I would say that you know I I, I could pull you up on some of your grammar, James, yeah, but yeah. I don't. <laughs> but but you are you have learnt for uh, some reason. I just you have know it. the difference between fewer and less. And I'm not trying. And you and whenever you see an opportunity to correct me on it, you do. And because I know it, it really irritates. It has worked because I do get better at it. But but sometimes I will naturally slip slip out of it. But what you were hearing just then is me, my brain being like, I'm in <laughs> James's presence quickly. <laughs> And for those who are wondering what the difference between less and fewer is, mm. it's fewer when it's a definable quantity of something mm -hmm. and it's less when it's an overall. So as I said, less TV, TV is not a quantity of mm. something, but it's TV episodes, that's fewer episodes. You can count them, fewer. So yes. less beer, fewer, fewer glasses. Pints, pints. pints. Yeah. sure, sure. Yes. Yeah. Less time, fewer years. Mm. It's like, like fewer calories. Yes. Because you'd count them. Less you energy. Say, oh, I consumed less calories today. No, but I people do, but, fewer but, but calories. Old today. me would have done that, but you, yeah, you yeah. put me up on it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't I'm, know why. I've not tried. I didn't one day be like, this will be my thing. I'm going to be the less and fewer guy. I, I, look, I'm just. I sometimes am, you're just given divine knowledge. I'm sorry if I've ever been overcorrecting of your of your grammar <laughs> no, George, on air. I love it. But um, <laughs> never change. <laughs> Welcome to English 101. Anyway, let's get on with the show. We're going to be talking about Ferrari and anyone but you. Mm. Let's talk about them new movies. Which one do you want to do first? Um, Should we do anyone but you yeah, first? Yeah, let's, let's warm that one up. So I actually went to go see this with Talia in Cape Town. Right. We what, just thought the cinema like a cinema day. Yeah, it's like a standard multiplex. Cinema. I will say we had the worst ever popcorn I've ever had. Oh, God. I've ever had. So you know how um, you've got... Like bag popcorn, yes, and then like proper popcorn, yes, and I consider from it the drum with from they, the yeah. drum, and I consider it the same as like a bottle of beer versus a pint. Sure, there's like a sort of you know made in that moment feel to yes. it. I know it's like sort of all prepared for. You're talking so, to someone. Remember, I I know how that popcorn from the drum is done. Of course, yeah. So in Cape Town, I used to work at in this cinema in Cape Town, you don't you know you get like salt or sweet. Yeah, the, all the popcorn is plain, but then you get given these sachets oh, no. of seasoning. <sighs> To, to pour on it. Ooh. And Talia, like, we were hungry. Talia was like, I want popcorn. I was, she really likes popcorn. I was like, okay. And she chose this butter flavored seasoning. And I thought, oh, like butter but seasoning? I butter salt. And you know, there's something in my mind was like, oh, yeah, like butter popcorn, like, could be quite nice. 
she dusted that stuff on and she audibly went like, Whoa! <laughs> oh no. And then like I tried, she was like, the popcorn's really bad. And then I tried it and I was like, oh, just this new new sensation that just like, I'd never really tasted. It tasted like UPF processed oh, dust. Oh. Just foul. Anyway, so I'm associating the film with this terrible popcorn. Anyway, anyone but you. Um, I think it's really hard. I, I do kind of feel bad for a film right now that is a rom-com, that is really like going all out, going yeah. on the big screen, because it gets so much attention of like, oh really, a rom-com yeah. in cinemas, released with big stars. Mm. And I think it gets this like almost unfair, hyper magnifying glass mm. on it. Whereas like, is it, has it saved the rom-com? Mm. Is it funny? Does it, is it a commentary on our society mm. and love in a way that's refreshing and represents everyone and is new yeah. and is it smart but also going to make you it's, cry it's like every every rom-com now is a referendum on the rom-com totally and i think i think in a lot of ways that's really unfair and anyone but you is a film starring uh glenn powell yes. and sydney sweeney two of the sexiest people in hollywood right now i think i'm definitely getting a crush on glenn powell he is, is happening. smooth, isn't he? He's having a really good year. Like Hitman is where the crush, I think, you know, solidified. This is really, this is a really random thing to say, but I, you, you would, fa you'd fancy Glenn Powell if he was your waiter. Mm. You know, can you imagine him being like, "Hey, ladies, gonna get you anything today?" And yeah. You'd be like, what? And he's actually also like, he teaches surfing lessons like down oh, the yeah. beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And so, like, you know, like Top Gun Maverick, I see you, Glenn Powell. I see the the the, the volleyball scene or the football scene. I'm like, hey. And then Hitman, I'm like, completely. This guy's great. Sure. What a range. He's not just like a sort of. Uh, You've got us all on tender hooks for him. Frat boy. Way. And then I see him in this movie and he's. Whew. And Sydney Sweeney already, you know, already. I'm already there with Sydney well, sure, Sweeney. Of course. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, it's really hard to do a rom com. It's directed by Will Gluck, who also did Friends with Benefits. Yes. Remember that film? And Easy A. And Easy A. Uh, I think Friends with Benefits is mixed, but I remember enjoying it at the time. I yeah. can't say I've seen it. Better than No Strings Attached. Which no, was no. I, I thought that too. I really thought that too. And Tally was like, no, No Strings is Attached is better. And I was like, I think Friends with Benefits is better. We then watched them. Friends with Benefits is better. Is, yeah. No, no, no. You, you mean. Sorry, sorry. No Strings Attached is better. The Ashton Kutcher. So the 2011 uh, uh, Friends with Benefits themed movie starring yes. a Black Swan star. Yeah. The best one is the Natalie Portman one. Yes. Oh, interesting. I, 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 did, I did promise you I watched these back to back and I was like, damn it, Talia's right. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell, you know, they cast the sexiest people in Hollywood. When I saw the trailer, I thought this is pitching itself as a really sexy, smoldering, mm. intense rom-com. Very enticing. I thought, you know what? I quite, I was quite excited to go and see a rom-com in If cinema. I may, a feature-length thirst trap. Oh, totally. Mm. It, it's a swimsuit ad, completely. Mm. And, they, and George, they, get, they, they cast them. They get them naked <laughs> as often as they can. <laughs> Anytime they get, there are so many. All the clothes have come off gags. Like literally, Glenn Powell, at, at so many times, is just cupping his crotch running across the screen Brilliant. and it's a delight like very low stakes to go and see a rom-com and i'm just quite happy to yes. go and see it and I, I did have a good time watching it anyway so i have this opening scene meet cute uh sydney sweeney rushes into a cafe she's desperate to use the toilet but the cafe's got a long line going all the way down the cafe and she's like hi please i'm gonna buy something please can i have a bathroom key and the person behind the counter is like hi i'm so sorry i can only give the bathroom key to people who've bought something and she's like but the queue is so long literally i'm gonna buy something blah 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 and she's literally about to pee her pants and who is sit already at the front of the queue it's glenn powell who says who just jumps in and says uh honey sweetie how about i get you your peppermint tea and he sort of pretends to be in a relationship with her to help her out and she's like oh yeah thank you that would be that would be great and he's like oh and i'll give you the bathroom key so he sort of sees a woman mm. in distress instead of says oh you know what i'll pretend to be your to be your partner gives her the bathroom key cindy sweeney 
goes into the bathroom and has this sort of comedy where she actually like splashes her crotch with with water and looks like she's peed her pants and then she's waiting a long time. Anyway, they come out. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> Hilarity ensues. They come out and they have this lovely little like walk and talk and they end up spending the night together at Glen Powell's flat and they sleep together and it's like really sort of cute and they're having this like, you know, r- real chemistry. And Sydney Sweeney is just sort of on a break from a relationship and she's very confused when she wakes up in the morning and she decides, you know what, just not complicate things, I'm just going to leave without saying goodbye. And Glen Powell sort of notices her leaving and is a little bit like, you know, upset by the fact that she's just left without sort of saying anything. Um, Sydney Sweeney calls her friend to be like, yeah, I just like slept with this guy and it's so this and that. And Glen Powell's like, she just left and his roommate comes in and he ends up saying something. His friend then pushes him to be like, why did you let her leave? And he ends up like, in a way of bravado to his friend being like oh god she's she's nothing to me meanwhile Sydney Sweeney was like I'm just gonna go back and say hi and as she comes back overhears him saying like she's nothing to me blah 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 what they don't realize actually a year later they have a very close mutual friend and so of course what happens is those friends are getting married Mm. and they're going to Australia both of them are invited you got that classic uh, Australia bright sunny escapism Mm. destination wedding but they can't stand each other They, they literally hate each other's guts and everyone's aware of the fact that they don't like each other. And everyone else thinks it's a good idea to try and set them up. Classic. Which to them, and they, they were aware that everyone's trying to set them up. And they, they have this chat at one point. They're like, look, everyone's trying to set us up. This is really annoying. Why don't we just pretend like we're, in, we're, okay. we're getting on okay. and we're together? And that will shut everyone up. And so therefore, they, they have to pretend oh like they're... A contrivance romantic. upon <laughs> contrivance. Okay. Like they're together. And that's where sort of the, the, comedy, the comedy happens. Um, so here's the thing. There, there is the, there is the. I actually laughed quite a bit. I had a good chuckle, at, like consistently throughout at some of the gags. And as I said, like the, a lot of the humor. And I remember criticizing um, No Hard Feelings for this. Of like the funniest thing you can do is just get your person naked. Mm. Is that the funniest gag? That is the funniest gag here a lot of the time. What I got from this film was a real sense of uh, like hollow, hollowness. And I mean that both in terms of like some of the line delivery, but literally the film felt hollow. So it's this wedding in Sydney and no one's there. It, I really got the sense that like there are no extras and nobody's actually really here. Huh. And they hired an Airbnb in Australia with a, be- a beachfront property and they just filmed scenes in this Airbnb with the cast. Huh. Like, it's really hard to explain this feeling of like, they just hide this spot so there's, so there's and no, shot there. There's no contextual shots of wider no. extras like, no. Oh, wow. like, it's a wedding. Usually there are people yeah. and like there's Activity. more people around. There's like maybe eight people in the cast and there's just no sense of like, this is actually happening and here's where we are. I got a sense you had a budget for stars yeah. and you, you bought an Airbnb yeah. and you shot around the garden. You, and you blew it all on Australia <laughs> and the stars. <laughs> you had to fly Glen Ballard Sydney Sweeney yeah. first class it's, in Australia. It's the same Airbnb which the crew are actually staying <laughs> oh, to make movie. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> and they all, all the, the director were just like, yeah, we're gonna rent, we'll all stay there because it's lovely. They looked at the, the combination budget. and location budget just got merged. <laughs> they looked at the budget and they got one zero wrong. They yeah. actually put one or two many zeros on the thing. And then like, you know, you eventually get a wide of a wedding and there's like, I just thinking that's the sound guy's brother. That's the director's cousin. Like, I just don't believe that there was a wedding. So I get this sort of hollow, hollow sense of the film. And it's got such a sheeny exterior. Yeah. But I like, like a really old car that's been done up. The gear changes of the plot oh, are God. clunky. And we go from this scene to this scene. There's, there's one dynamic that the film leans on so heavily, which is uh, characters are overhearing, like, like in the very first Meet Cute, they're overhearing conversations. And the film has this joke where it, it wants the other characters to know that that person's overhearing to try and get 
them to think something. And at first it's funny, but it becomes the only way that the film chooses to let characters learn information. Wow. And I just think this is really lazy. You're literally just in the Airbnb at different parts of the garden, trying to get as many angles of like, well, they're over the hedge and he's here and he's listening. I'm like, is that the, is that the only idea we've got to, sh- to, to bring information to characters yeah. when that was the first thing in the meet queue? I just found that a little bit like boring, boring and lazy as it went on. Um, you know, it's weird. I know this isn't relevant or fair because they're completely different films, but I did watch Annie Hall properly for the first time right. in, in, in the same period. And I just, I, you know, it's problematic in some ways, Annie Hall and Woody Anna's not exactly the most favorable person to be like no. looking at in this day and age. But something about that dialogue is like so smart and sharp yeah. and you just want to listen to it. Some of the dialogue in this is just a little bit waffly. And sometimes people are talking and they just fade in music. Like you can't be asked to finish yeah. the dialogue in your scene. And I just think that's a shame. And then watching Annie Hall within like the same week as that, mm to me just like really screamed the difference again i know completely different films trying to do very different things but um you just long for sharper sharper dialogue Mm. like i said a sheeny exterior with a very clunky interior shifting through could i ask something as well is that uh when you described as a sexy rom-com i kind of was interested not because i'm some sort of base man but because uh there's been a problem with films for a long time becoming uh kind of sexless and in a way that they weren't in the past. Films were much more willing to engage with sex as, as a topic, as a conversation in, in yeah. the past and be a bit more risque. And over the past 20 years, sex has kind of waned off, whereas violence has stayed. And it's this weird thing where like, yeah. you take a film like The Hunger Games, which is like, the the, 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 the the dynamics of the relationship are very sexless, mm. but the violence remains. It's almost like parents are happy because they can see violence and, it's easier. It's more black and white to yeah. say violence is bad. This is, whereas sex is more complicated. Anyway, culturally, but, sex between across the Atlantic. Yeah, sure. So, but so when this when this rom comes comes along and it says it's like it looks like a sexy rom com, does it actually dip it like get itself mucky and be dirty? And is it sexy? There is sex. Uh, it is sexy. I don't know if it necessarily is about sex and is it's not sexually progressive or anything like that. Is it sexually empowering? Sexually liberating? Sexual agency? Is it anything? Nothing of note. It's not really interested in. A conversation. It's not about sex. It's about it's about the two characters. It's a nice sex scene in there. It's hot. I liked it. Like like an underwear ad. Like you know, (laughs) the two beautiful people. You got their clothes off quite a lot. I see. But is Um, it? But but is it? Is it? It's hard. It's hard. It's hard because I don't. I don't. I don't usually find films like sexy, sexy. But like Mm. I, I have talked about this before. But in like Out of Sight with George Clooney and Julia, Julia, George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez, they Mm. have palpable really good sexual tension sexual chemistry and yeah. it's really like engaging i'm like is, did, is that here i got nothing of note to say mm-hmm. here. And I, I, I think i thought almost when i feel like i'm talking about a film like this people want to say is it back is rom-com back and it's not fair to go yeah. just because this film decides to put itself out in cinema to be, to, to be the arbiter of whether or not rom-coms are saved or rom-coms are back um so i'm glad it's there right and i enjoyed the low stakes entry of going to see a rom-com in, the, in a cinema where yeah. it's like i'm just gonna have fun with my partner yeah. on a sun on a sunny well sunny winter mm. and just enjoy it um but it's okay a little bit disappointing it is kind of funny how long it's a is it of, i can't remember Maybe just it, over 90 it, minutes. It, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, if it's a tight 90, that's not No, it's not too right. long. Okay. It didn't, never felt long. Um, it's fun. It's cute. It's not, not amazing. Could, could have done with some r- much better dialogue. Mm. Uh, uh, <laughs> Isn't that true of any films yeah. and any rom-com? Yeah. If you've seen anyone but you and would like to send us your thoughts, email in to hello at pulpkitchenpodcast.com. I'd really love it if someone can articulate this feeling better of like that hollow, I mm. see the production have mm. hired a place. Maybe it's because I work 
in uh, media yeah, and I could see that, but I really felt that. And I know, you know, like wedding crashes. Right. So you've seen it? Yeah. yeah a I, long time ago. I really believe the weddings that they went to are happening and like all the people around. The genuine weddings, yeah. Genuine weddings. And like, yes, like th- that person's there. Maybe it's a budget thing to do with extras and the budget, maybe all budget goes on the cast and that I don't know, mm. but I really got a, a sense of legitimate things that are happening had, around the characters. If someone said to you that movie was made in COVID, would you believe it? Oh, totally. Right. Yeah, okay. totally. Huh. I don't think it was. But no, it wasn't. You but... can really see it. Um, okay. Glenn Powell though. He's a big star. He's good, he's good I like, you know, Sydney Sweeney was in reality last year, which we both really yeah. liked, you know, and yeah. she's, she's, she's a talent. So also, are... I keep going on about it. I've just seen Glenn Powell in Hitman and yes. he does so right. many different better mm. that he's, he's brilliant in it. It's his breakout role for me. Mm. And then I see him in this and he's not bad, but I'm like, I know, I know you've got so much we more know going you can on. More, yeah. I know you can do so much more going on. Mm. Um, but anyway, that's anyone but you. Let me know your thoughts. So let's do Ferrari, a new film by Michael Mann, uh, who hasn't made a movie in about 10 years. Last movie he made was Black Hat uh, with Chris Hemsworth, which was this sort of uh, uh, hacking thriller that absolutely bombed and went nowhere. It's one of those forgotten films. I don't... You, I don't see it ever on a streaming no. platform, Carousel. Yeah, um, so it doesn't have a home. <laughs> no, he he made... Mike, Michael Mann, is, his most famous film is definitely uh, Heat, which is an absolutely sublime film. Fantastic yeah. movie. I think he also made Last of the Mohicans as well. But Yes, yeah. Um, Heat is fantastic. Collateral. He did make Collateral, that's right. Yeah, he, yeah. so he's kind of... He's best known for these sort of crime uh, LA thrillers with a kind of... Um, conflicted look, uh, you know, um, moral conflict in a sort of male lead. Yeah, men uh, at the, in the pursuit of something extraordinary and great at the sacrifice of the personal. Yes, men gazing out of uh, a big window out of the city and sort yes. of feeling conflicted. I must while, conquer it. While their wife tells them that they need to get on with like doing more important things and they're like, shh, 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 shh. It's one of those kind of like- very, I will deal with you it's a bit, thusly. It's a bit male egoy, but it's, it's, it's there. Yeah. Um, Anyway, he's back with Ferrari, which is a, you know, a, a, a biopic of Enzo Ferrari, um, founder, co-founder of um, Ferrari, as, as we know it now, the brand. This movie predominantly takes place in 1957. It follows Enzo Ferrari, who is a former racing uh, driver from, mm-hmm. the, from the 20s, who set up Ferrari with his wife, played by Penelope Cruz, um, in the ruins of post-war Italy. And uh, they're, they're based in Modena, Famous for its balsamic vinegar. <laughs> That's what we know it from, at least. <laughs> uh, and he uh, he has a struggling car production factory, but his passion is racing. And there's a line in it where he says, Maserati uh, races to sell sports cars. Mm. I sell cars so I can race. He doesn't race himself, but, you know, so he can participate in racing. That's his true passion. We find him uh, in 1957 in this sort of weird zone where... You're, he's looking at a lot of kind of metaphorical deaths. There's the death of his marriage. He's he's in a sort of re- barren relationship with Penelope Cruz, and actually is in this relationship with Shailene Woodley in a sort of uh, who's sequestered in this villa outside of Medina mm. with who has that, with whom he has a child. Um, he has he's dealing with the loss of his son from with Penelope Cruz a few years prior. His brother died in the in the First World War. He and he's got this sort of stasis about him, but his passion is racing. And Adam Driver plays Ferrari with their, who's in a very sort of cold, taciturn, um, d- d- ruthlessness. I'd say um, it's about two hours long, yeah. uh, and it follows. The, the main thrust is 
following his relationship dynamics between Penelope Cruz and Charlene Woodley and trying to find a way of saving his struggling Ferrari company by entering what's called the meal, the meal Amelia, which is this meal Amelia, million miles, I don't thousand miles, meal Amelia, Italian, Italian named race uh, in 1957. James, give us your thoughts. You know, there's things I I found the film dipped its toes in that I thought was interesting. Like, first of all, I think like the study of the man, I think it's it's somewhat interesting. I think Adam Driver is always great in everything he's done. I think, you know, I, I think he's had a bit of a rough run coming from House of Gucci, 65. Mm. And I don't think Ferrari is like, you know, a mm. home run necessarily. But he's always an actor I'm really interested in. And when I saw the trailer for this, I thought I fancy that. Um, I love how much uh, of a physical presence Ferrari was. He's mm. the biggest man in the room, both mm. in stature mm. and in status. He's got these big suits with broad lapels and he talks very, very convincingly. And I enjoyed this little, I don't think they did it enough, but talking about the motoring industry post-World War II, there was a little bit of a boom once there was peace, but obviously like things becoming consolidated mm. might be acquired by Henry Ford or Fiat. Yeah. For motorists out there, which I'm not, motorist fans out there, yeah. I think there's a little bit to be enjoyed there. Um, I think there's, not, there's something nice to be said about, he views everything through these large sunglasses mm. and he's, there's a faint red tint mm. to the glasses, very much like the red of the Ferrari, mm. like the red of blood, sort of things there, like the haunting of something terrible could happen. Um, I think ultimately the film really lacks focus mm. and there's only maybe two or three moments in the film where it all stopped being a bunch of noise and it snapped into focus mm. for me and I all of a sudden became interested. But outside of that, I was a little bit bored. Mm. Um, I felt like a lot of the things we just mentioned about Michael Mann films, feeling like one man trying to do something mm. and the female characters in this film being lost in a role, which I don't think is that interesting or new mm. i don't think this film I, th- I think this film is one of those unfortunately um i think you know th- there's one thing that this film didn't do very well which i think films like top Gun maverick did very well and even gran turismo did very well which is really clearly communicate what the race is or the trial is mm. why it's important what we have to do and mm. what happens if we win or we lose yeah. i could have really done with Okay, so the race, I know you sort of need to win to save the, the thing of Ferrari, yeah. but like, what, who's the person and yeah. why are we here and what are we doing? Yes. And it's just a couple of moments. If you've seen the film, you know the moments I mean where it really snaps into focus. Mm-hmm. There's a great moment where Adam Driver is talking about to this new class of racers who are going to race Ferraris, and he talks about that only be two cars that cannot mm. occupy the same space. Mm. I thought that was interesting. Other than that, a bit of a slog, a little bit boring, mm. not noise, a little bit of noise. I, 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 I agree with you totally. I, I, the first. I must say the first third, even the first half of the film, I really struggled with. I, in the first 20 minutes, I thought, oh, I can't believe I have to sit through two hours of this. Mm. I was, it was incredibly unfocused. Yeah. All over, hither and dither with ideas. Uh, I, it's a really um, messy script, I think. Yeah. And I have to say, it's, I think it's <coughs> one of the clunkiest edited films I've seen in a long time, both mm. in terms of narrative structure, cutting away from a scene mid-action, to then to another scene to then cut back. I, I was always aware of this kind of cutting and I thought it was really uh, intrusive. And literally also there are cuts mid-scene, mid-dialogue and to cuts that don't match up. To, mm. It's one of those other... So I, you I know, know where to follow. Yeah, I'm, I'm not an editor, yeah. but I, I, as an audience member, I shouldn't be aware of the images changing in front of me because then I'm aware of the mechanics yeah, of cinema. Yeah, editing, and, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. So um, I thought that was really, really clunky. I think that it gets just lost in trying to do this sort of love triangle dynamic between Shailene Woodley and Penelope Cruz. I think Penelope Cruz is the best thing in the film, actually. Yeah. She's really good. She's com- she's committed. She's 
be full of conviction in her role. I mean, Adam Driver is, is solid, but actually every time Penelope Cruz was on, I was like, yeah, you're doing the best with a, a fairly limited role. I, I think like you and me explaining the film just now is doing a lot of the work that the film doesn't do. Yes. I actually think watching the film, I didn't have a clear idea of like who it's about and what the dynamic yeah. is until very late in the film and when I left. Yes. I actually think us talking about this is what it's about and you've got this triangle and this mistress mm. and the son and the name. That, that isn't screaming at you clear in the beginning. No. And I, I just on accents, obviously the accent Jared, the, the black hole Jared Leto accent that he left in the House of Gucci sucks in all accents within it. There's yeah. no comparing. I do get the sense that I, I don't dislike the accents themselves, but sometimes I feel like I'm listening to Italians speak their second language. Yes. Yeah, so it's we should explain, quite, yeah. so th this is not like... Um, a Napoleon or something where every actor keeps their original accent. No. This is Adam Driver talking like this. It is Charlie Woodley really struggling with an Italian mm -hmm. accent to basically be American but with a slight Italian accent. It's tricky. Um, and you're right, you have otherwise Italian actors. I mean, obviously Penelope Cruz is not Italian, but no, um, speaking in English, as you said, like a second language. Yeah. yeah. And then so I get this thing, even though they're pronouncing things like Modena and Enzo yeah. Ferrari. Yes, like someone speaking their second language. So therefore the is the dialogue as clear as it should be when yeah. you're telling the story and the script in itself is just a little bit fluffy. I find it give also- me, Give me focus. Yeah, and also I just find it a bit patronizing when, it, when, when you have someone, Adam Driver, needing to, to do, oh, I'm speaking in Italian. Like, I, I could have got a full sense of who Enzo Ferrari was as a person yeah. if you'd done your normal accent. Frustratingly, I think Ferrari was in, the, the, the character Ferrari was in a very similar position at the beginning of the film as he was at the end, despite the events occurring. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I mean- I, 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 and, and the ending for me, the last scene, I was like, Oh, and we're done. Oh, yeah, that's the end. Right, that's the <laughs> and end. We're done. Um, a couple of splash there's some. There is some, almost immediately, some very misjudged use of CGI in this film. I think uh, this is a massive sweeping statement, but I kind of thought it was a, a little bit evident of a director who hasn't made a film in a while coming back, and I felt like going, oh, Michael, that's not how we, we... We haven't done it like that for ages. You don't need to use that quality CGI, not very good quality, in that moment to communicate that thing. You could have done and made, uh, that moment could have been just as shocking without messing with the CGI button. I know what you mean, yeah. And There's I, two moments in particular that are really, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and I, I, <clears throat> yes, anyway. But the, the, yeah, I would say that the first third, I really struggled. It kind of stabilizes a bit in the second. And, but the third act, which is really, when it focuses about the race, yeah. gives its purpose, gives it meaning. And a little bit though. I, still... I mean, a little bit, yeah. I, but I will say, I because I, of the period. What, what I did like is that it wasn't. Um, it didn't do a House of Gucci, and it was like everything is Italian. It was low key stylish. Yeah, Every, everyone was stylish. Very chic, but, but it's shot. really quite beige and brown because it's the fifties. But then when you get this like bold, iconic red of the Ferrari mm. and the vintage cars racing through, really well kind of shot racing scenes. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I do find myself kind of lusting over mm. that nicely. That, and that bold red does cut through that. Patrick beige. Dempsey and Jack O'Connell with Fantastic. white eyes and then just black yeah, all black over their, their face and, and neck. Ridiculous hair, you know, coloured yeah. hair. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, think that, I think that's it. I think, so Penelope Cruz is brilliant. Adam Driver is solid. The, the racing scenes really give it focus, but it really is quite yeah, dull. And, and there, there are hints at things every so often like, Ferrari has a conversation with his son about um, how an engine works mm. and, and, his, and his approach to design and his belief that uh, form kind of leads function. You yeah. know, there's this stereotype that Italian cars look beautiful, but they don't race very well. And like mm. German cars, the opposite. Okay? Yeah. Broadly speaking, I'm not a motorsports follower, but sure. that's, the, that's the cliche. 
I like this idea that he, he about him leading with form over function. That he, he says in it, like, my belief is that if something looks beautiful, it will then work beautifully. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting idea about the design of a car and your aesthetic approach to to motoring. And that, that but that is never returned to again. Yeah. I, I I also will concede that I don't find motorsport particularly interesting. I, I love the racing scenes, but yeah. a bit like I found with Ford v Ferrari. I, I liked the racing scenes and that and yeah. everything else I found really dull. Yeah. So I saw it with my mum and dad and Talia. Oh yeah. And they very bored. Really yeah, came out, didn't really know what it was about. Not, not because they weren't listening, just because it doesn't give you a lot of clarity of what it's about. Very boring. And it's, and it's quite immediate. I found quite immediately. I was like, Oh, this is all over the place. Sort of mm. stop start, which is really disappointing. Um, and Adam drive is really good as yes. always. And he gives, he, he gives such an intensity and I think really does the best of what he's given. And also Michael Mann has announced, I don't know if he's announced or he's heavily rumored yeah. to be doing a, a sequel, prequel to Heat, prequel with Adam Driver playing Robert De Niro's character. And okay. I really do feel like, I don't want that, Michael. You, d- you made a great film nearly 30 years ago. Can we, can you- Make I, an original. Make an original film, thing, yeah. but also, um, what if, you know, no, not, this isn't the return from Michael Mann I think we wanted. Mm. I also would have enjoyed, as a, a, both of us non-motorist enthusiasts, a bit more about that period and cars and history. Mm. I, think I'm quite, I think I'm quite receptive to learn more about that dynamic and yeah. who is going to acquire who, this post-war the state of Italy, consolidation, yeah, really how cool. do you do manufacturing? You want to race, but you actually <laughs> need to get commercial this cars is, out. This is what I found really clunky. So it begins with this black and white footage of Enzo Ferrari in, his tw- in the 20s racing, mm. which was it's kind of interesting okay was, mm. and then and then it just so clunky it just throws text on the screen and says enzo ferrari set up this company in 19 so and so with his wife yeah he was a racing driver now he runs this company and then you just arrive in 1957 and i'm like why couldn't you sh- like it's Done so lazy there. can you not have shown me but because I, I i'm sitting there watching enzo ferrari the character from then onwards and i'm thinking but i've missed all the stuff that makes you who you are mm. i've missed the 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 formation of Ferrari as a company. There are flashbacks, fleeting flashbacks to the kind of uh, the state the the company and, and, and Italy was in post-war and and and, I'm, and 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 his relationship with his son who then yeah. died. And I'm thinking that's given his story, give me that the dynamic with the mistress from post-war Italy. Like it feels yeah. like you we've picked up on that late in Act Two of the story of Enzo right. Ferrari and you called the film Ferrari. It's not the Mil Mir dynamic with Ferrari in it. Mil, sorry, I've not pronounced Mil- that Mil- right. Milia, yeah. Mil- Milia, and we've picked up with Ferrari. It's like very much the last part of his story, yeah. if that, again, I don't really know. So a little bit- Pretty lackluster. Noisy, fluffy. Yes. Lacking focus. Um, there is, I will say this, I'm going to talk about this in unspoiled terms. There is a moment, there is a very p- pivotal, shocking moment that happens uh, in the fourth act or whatever. You know, yeah. you know, you know. Yeah. And you're shown the sort of aftermath of that uh, moment. Uh, and my friend said that, he could, we, we were talking about the sort of the, CGI and stuff. Mm. And my friend said, when he saw it at the cinema, when they showed the aftermath, um, a particular one, particular um, bits of the aftermath, <laughs> he, 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 couldn't, he couldn't help in the cinema but burst out laughing. And he said, everyone in the room looked at me like I was a serial killer. <laughs> because they were like, why are you laughing at this thing? That's not good. Anyway, if you've seen Ferrari, let us know your thoughts to James. Hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. When you have the events that the film sort of leads to towards yeah. the moment in the end, which, which is what happens, I, I, you almost want, okay, we've had a very cold character who doesn't want to engage in a certain way. He's very focused in one lane of his life. I almost wanted that to be like a shocking moment for the audience yeah. and a shocking moment for Enzo. Bring it round to something. Yeah. And I just don't think it did. Yeah. Or, or, so you're left feeling yeah. like, oh, and then it's over, I guess. We're done. Yes. No, you're right. 
Yeah, that's I, such a moment for me where you try and cling on to something of who this man is and what really mm. makes him tick. Why or you reveal he that he is completely cold. Yes. But they didn't really do that either. It sort of just no. cuts to him and Penelope Cruz in a conversation. And anyway, that was Ferrari. I think it's not, I don't really think it's going to get much buzz. I also, I, it's out yeah. in a very crowded end of year period. It's absolutely bombed as well. Has I, it? I think in box office terms, yeah. Mm. It's, it's not a good time to release it. It's the end of the year. I don't know if it, there's a lot of other things out which have interest for people. Um, it's just mm. a shame. Well, I guess it's not that good. Anyway, that was Ferrari. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Right, George, should we go through some of the emails that we get sent every single week? Guys, thank you for sending in so many over the New Year Christmas period. Yeah. All of you sent your emails in, of course, to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com, just like Sam did, friend of the show. Sam writes into the show and he says, Hello, lads. It's Sam, deliver driver from Gert, deliver driver. Delivery driver. Gert, yeah, but he says deliver driver. Maybe he delivers. Liver. It's deliver <laughs> driver. From Guernsey here to talk about my favourite films I've watched this year. In total, I've watched 143 films this year, Pretty 106 good. of them being for the first time. Oh, okay. So I see. Still, yeah, still good. Still good numbers, Sam. Yeah, yeah, good, good numbers. Good my top five are, brackets, not all new releases okay, from so, this year. So it's top five new discoveries, basically. New discoveries. Uh, Honourable mention to The Holdovers, brackets, cried. Yes, not seen it yet. We are going to hopefully Coming see soon. it really soon. Looking forward to that. I worked the premiere. That's what I'll say. Uh, five, After Sun, cried. Four, Little Women, cried. Three, There Will Be Blood, cried. Really? Two, Killers of the Flower Moon, cried. One, Life is Beautiful, cried. Sam, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> this isn't about movies, is it? But a lot of those are emotional, but There Will Be Blood? Woke up this morning, cried. <laughs> In the shower, cried. I think I've learned, Sam goes on to say, I think I've learned this year that I like really sad films or films that make me feel any kind of emotion. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, There Will Be Blood, cry is an interesting one. I, I maybe don't the relationship with the sun yeah that's particularly painful perhaps i didn't cry when i, I didn't, wasn't sad when i watched it i was more by that point in the film especially i, more I, I it's of, not a film i i would call emotional mm, killers of the flower moon no yeah. i don't think i was there i was, it was so many other things i don't think i cried no hope you're all right sam uh, life is beautiful the best favorite film of this year made me cry so much it was borderline embarrassing for the last few uh, uh, the last few that's a real weepy one and i was sobbing for at least an hour but an incredible film keep up the good work i love this pod so much merry christmas and happy new year sam thank you sam sam very much you look after yourself man. yeah but take it well stay stay happy for 2024 yeah. this next email is from Honey. Honey says, hello, George and James, in brackets, James and George. I'm a long-term listener, but I've never sent an email in before. So hello. Hello, Honey. Am I late? Am I too late to the Saltburn discussion? Mm. I just watched it. It has now been added to Amazon Prime. And wow, I loved it. Mm. I totally understand both of your guys' opinions and viewpoints about the films. However, this film was just made for me. I absolutely loved all the performances. Barry Keoghan, you creepy f uh, effer. I'm just going to censor that word. I don't know why. We, yeah, we we'll sometimes swear, but oh, I'm just yeah. going to do it. And the soundtrack was so nostalgic. However, in all caps, I had seen this film going pretty viral for its disturbing scenes mm. with people on TikTok and Twitter going mental over the scene and the scene and the scene. 
if you know, you know. Going into this film, I expected some really graphic and disturbing stuff that would shock me. However, I found it pretty tame. Weird, but not disturbing or shocking and gross. It made me realise how... That's what we said. That's a really interesting point, actually. I'm going to stop on that one. But because it, it's weird, but it's not disturbing because it's not tied no. to anything psychologically deeper, I don't think. No. Those, those, those things that you see are not disturbing. And the scene later... Yeah where you know like the not the end but near the end that scene is held for so long yeah whereas i don't i never found it sh- that shocking to see but it's held for such a long time that, it, that you're forced yes. you're forced to confront it you're confront it yeah and also because the longer that shot is held the more i feel the presence of emerald Fennell being like look at this hey yeah. look at where this is and i'm like yeah I, minutes, I get it, it. I, yeah. I get it thank you um honey goes on to say it made me realize how casual film viewers probably don't expose themselves to weird shit very often mm. as i have seen hundreds of films with more weird and disturbing content than saltburn i find that foreign cinema particularly european includes a lot more bizarre scenes like this one oh, yeah. as i I mentioned. So I suppose I have become a little desensitized. I'd love to know what you guys thought surrounding the disturbing hype, but I, like I said, absolutely love the film. and cannot wait, wait, cannot wait to rewatch it already from Honey. P.S. I met George in a lift once at a Martin Scorsese event. He was very nice, much taller than I imagined. Yes, honey, I remember that. Hello. How are you doing? Um, Saltburn. A lot of people are, a lot of people are saying they really enjoy it. Well, look, Anecdotally and then from the, I, from the listeners. I think Honey... It's picked up on something. Yes, we have had listeners email in who saw it at the cinema and really liked it. Mm-hmm. What I think Honey is funny is that it went on to Amazon Prime just before Christmas and then loads of people then watched it. I think people who never would have watched it before and threw it on casually and were then kind of, sort of enjoyed it in a kind of like a titillating way. Yeah. People who never watch, as Honey sort of says, the, a film of that kind of nature... So they Avant-garde. see these shocking scenes and they go, oh my God, it's so, oh my God, it's so shocking. Mm. And, and they immediately go to Twitter and TikTok and make a thing out of it. And mm. it's become like a meme now of like, oh, watching, watching Saltburn with my parents. Mm. Um, but I agree that I, I, okay. I just think it's bullshit. I'm sorry, I don't think <laughs> yeah. it's bad. Don't get me wrong. I, did, I, I also, I superficially enjoyed it, but I do think, mm. but in the real like last third, I really got kind of tired of that. I think it's yeah. bullshit because... I've heard Emerald Fennell like talk about certain elements of it, and I'm like, that's really interesting when you talk about it, but that's just not coming through in the film. And I think sometimes, would this film have been better if it had just been, if it had just tried to be a comedy, a black comedy? Sure. But yeah. if it just tried to be, instead Which it of trying to, to be a lot of uh, it, it has funny moments mm. and stuff. But I'm, I'm almost like, why didn't you just go for being, embrace the silliness of this, the dark silliness, and make it like a real, the campness of it, and make it a comedy? But sometimes I find like it wants to also be like a prestigious. Satirization of of like the wealth, which is just not there. I, I'm sorry. The I more find- it kind of reveals to you in terms of its like what's actually going on, the less interesting it becomes. And the point in the very end where it tells you exactly what's going on, I'm like, <laughs> that's where I completely lost interest and I was done. I just think that I think that sometimes the film wants to, it, it in trying to always try, try and make a serious coded point about something, it gets in the way of actually being as fun as its silliness and its campness would actually let it to be. There are just some moments I think, oh, this would be so much more fun and enjoyable if, if, we weren't trying, if you weren't trying to get me to invest in this in a kind of a deeper level. Mm. I don't know. I, I think it's, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think it's terrible. And I don't, I, I prefer it to Promising Young Woman. And I do think there's stuff in there mm. I like. It's gorgeous, absolutely Beautiful. gorgeous to look at. And it's got some, some moments that did make me chuckle, but I, I'm not convinced. I texted you yesterday. I was like 90% sure 
I was right next to Emerald Fennell on the tube. Oh, yeah. I was standing, very busy tube, standing like next to mm. her at the time, but she was facing the other way. And then a seat came free. So I took a seat and I look up and I'm like, I'm like really mm. sure it's Emerald Fennell. She's not a face I have like obviously very well, you know, Imprinted dialed in, mind, but yeah. you know, I was like pretty sure. And then like when I, with the Wi-Fi at the next station, I Googled Emerald mm. Fennell to literally cross-reference her face with the thing. And I was like, oh, I'm like, I'm mm. pretty, I'm not I'm like 95% sure that's her. Look, and if, if she was sat across me right now, I absolutely believe, because she seems like a really charming, engaged yeah. person. Like she would be able to convince me and, and speak passionately about the film. And I, I, she spoke about one point where she was like, oh, the film is really about power. And that's like, explains the vampire scene between... <clears throat> Barry Keoghan and, and the daughter and and he he's you know Barry Keoghan's oh, Oliver's the character is very tuned into how to give power to people and, and where they need it and I'm like that's that's a really interesting and the dynamic I'm, between um is it uh, what's the guy's name Archie Farley Farley if, like, the name character yes character, yeah yeah Farley. that that dynamic and, and like how uh, power through wealth and yeah opportunity. And I, I think that's that there. that was more interesting but, to me but I'm just like I don't know if it's actually that sharp in the film but mm. anyway I digress. We were, we were, I was, I'm pretty mixed on it, but if people like it, that's cool. It's enjoy it. it might as well. This next one's from Zuzana, who says, Dear James and George, Hi. I hope you're doing well and having a lovely and cozy December. Greetings from Krakow, Poland. So I we are, we are reading this later. The so. font that you've used is like, I think it's Garamond. Ooh, let's have a look. And it's kind of like, um, like Dumbledore's handwriting when mm. he writes to Harry to say, you've got a place at Hogwarts. Enjoy it. As we are now in this end of year kind of magical time, I would like to take this moment to thank you both for the amazing interesting and entertaining content that you have been creating oh, wow. uh, and sharing at this podcast. I hope you know how much joy you've been bringing to your listeners. I also appreciate how, in a good way, you've changed the way I look at films now. I'm always curious uh, curious what you have to say, and if possible, I enjoy listening to the general review before watching and then spoiler-free afterwards. Thank you very That's much. That's why we do them. That's great. I have a couple of friends that I love discussing movies with, and I keep sharing bits and pieces of your podcast with them, mostly to discuss films, but also to spread the iconic moments such as why would anyone want to lick your teeth mystery is finally yeah. solved. <laughs> I'll have my braces taken off in January and I really don't know what to expect. Get someone well, to, to lick, lick your, your teeth. teeth. <laughs> George will probably put those the people who would do it. <laughs> what can I say? It just happened. As far as See this... previous episode for details. Oh yeah, that was great. Many episodes. Well, yeah, well, quite well now. As far as this Christmas time movies are concerned, I'm starting off with the screening of Aquaman The Lost Kingdom. My expectations oh, yeah, are so out. low that I may actually enjoy it. That film has happened. <laughs> uh, we're not... It is, it is a link on a Wikipedia page somewhere. You know, it's like, it's a historical fact. Some Contractual obligation. It, it, it happened. Uh, yeah, that sound you hear is the existence of Aquaman <laughs> 2. Don't check your phone. The podcast is still going. Yeah. We're just not... Uh, there it is. I don't... If, any, if you guys was like, oh my God, please, James, there's something really interesting going on, or it would be worth... You know what's the thing about DC, DC films now? Is that... If I'm to be really cynical, if I'm watching bad Marvel films, there's some, there's some value to see what's happening, to engage with this conversation of superhero films as a whole, and to cover maybe Marvel losing its touch. That has an interest to me, weirdly. DC has been so unraveled and spineless yeah. and structureless for so long. I'm not just going to see a film that I don't think is very good or isn't interesting to me, just to comment on something that I already know is it's a dynamic. empty calories. Yeah, totally. Sorry. All-time favorite Christmas movie of mine is Home Alone, which apparently is quite popular in Poland. Every year it's broadcast by the same channel, but when one time they decided not to do it, people protested so heavily that they brought it back. Nice. At the time, streaming services nice. were not that big yet. That's when I realized it's not just me who loves it so much. Not to make this long email any longer. Thank you again and happy holidays to you and your families. Take care, Zuza. When you say protest, were there like riots outside the- We uh, want the Culkin. Home we alone. want Culkin. Yeah. 
Oh, very interesting. Thank, Thank you. you. This next email is from Leonora, who says, Hi, James and George. Greetings from Germany and happy holidays. What a tour of Europe we're doing today, Love James. It. It's fun. I've recently discovered your podcast, and I enjoy it quite a lot. Nice. Thank you for the discussion on Napoleon. Yes, mm. we reviewed that back in November. Quite a few people have come, you know, seen it since, getting sort of mixed reviews. A lot of people ask me, like, is Napoleon any good? How's Napoleon? Mm. Uh, I very much agree with your assessment of the film and it, that it fell flat. Um, for in it, Yeah, that it fell flat. Mm. What irks me the most, though, was the treatment of time. I didn't mind Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon per se, but I found it confusing that he never seemed to age, nor fitted the age of Napoleon properly. At one point, quite long into the film, he said something about the lines of, she has been with me for the past 12 years, referencing uh, his first wife, and only then I realised how much time has passed, as Phoenix didn't seem to age at all. More so, afterwards I found out that Napoleon was in his early 20s when the film started, but looked like he was in his 40s, and only in the last scenes, um, they actually seemed to show that time had passed at all. It's I, not a historical it's film. It's not accurate at all. I, I discovered that Josephine was actually six years older than him, which wasn't addressed or indicated. Yeah, this film does not... No, which you think, considering the whole can you bear my child thing might have been interesting, but it's not. The lack of attention to detail from Scott's side quite frustrated me, and I'm glad to see glad to see I'm not the only one who thought so. Now, a question I would like to ask you. I also recently listened to an older episode where you discussed women talking, mm. and it got me thinking. I watched the film after reading the book, Women Talking, twice, and during a time when I was writing my MA thesis about the novel. Therefore, I was very familiar with the source material, which impacted the way I saw and thought about the film. In brackets, I liked it a lot, but there are some minor shortcomings, in my opinion. So my question would be, in your critical assessment of films, do you consider the source material or context novels, adaptations of plays, musicals, reboots, prequels and sequels, um, such as in the case of Wonka, etc., mm -hmm. in relation to the new film? Would you find it important that it's e.g. true to its source or bring something new to an existing story or anything like that? Or do you hardly pay further attention to the relationship between a film and its source materials? Sorry for the long email. Thank you for the great podcast. I really enjoy it. And when I can't wait for when Oscar season is upon us. Best yeah, wishes. We kind of touched upon this a couple of months ago, maybe. I would say that, yeah, we talked about before about like adapting and uh, adapting a source text. What I will say is I, are, although that first and foremost, I don't know about you, James, but I mm. always like to, believe that a film should work on should just own. should just kind of work in its own terms so whether or not it's adapted from a book whether or not it's based whether or not it's a prequel whether or not it's a re uh, reboot whatever does it work for its audience for you and I, mm -hmm. and also does it work for kind of a new audience or, or for the audience that's in front mm -hmm. of it so I, I i don't like it when people you go and see a film and based on uh, a pre-existing text and, it, and the film doesn't work. People say, oh, that's because you don't know the existing text. Game of Thrones. Uh, or even whenever we criticise Marvel stuff, they, people have gone, oh yeah, but that's how it is in the comics. I'm like, mm. I don't care because we're a movie audience it's different. and we're, we're paying <clears throat> to see a film right in front of us. So um, I'm always of the opinion that uh, a film should, should, should work in and of itself. Mm. I know films don't exist in a vacuum, but... Yeah. It, it has to. You can't. It can't rest on its source material and, and get. Can't assume you know. Get the out blanks, of loopholes. Yeah. Like can't, can't, story. Exactly. There's also. Like, I totally agree with you. But then you've got to understand that if people are massive fans of the books, most likely, right? You, you've got to be aware that it's very hard for someone to watch a film without thinking about all the books that they've read and comparing yeah. it and contrasting it. So I said, like, to remake that, which I know is a remake of the films, to redo the Harry Potter mm. films is a TV show. It's just such a 
damning yeah. thing to do. You're going to spend 10 years people to only compare your, compare your stuff to the other films and the books. Yes. No one's going to be wondering what's going to happen in the story. We already know it's just going to be a comparison exercise. And no one's going to be yeah. able to turn that side of their brain off. My, my, my whole attitude is always just like, how, how well does it function as a film in the 90 minutes, two hours that you're watching? Yeah. How well does it uh, work as a vehicle? And if I come out of it and people say, do you know that's so close to the book? Or do you know that's got mm. loads of details that the original IP has? Or I come out and people say, you know, that's nothing like the original. Mm. It doesn't matter. Because it, as long as that film, how did that film function in and of itself? Game of Thrones is very frustrating for people who read the books because the TV show was a very distinctively different thing. Yeah. It literally had, by, by, literally had to do something very different with the plot at different times, different character decisions. So if you're a huge fan of the books, you're watching it being like, hey, what's going on? Well, as soon as it's not good, you're like, well, the books. Mm. The books were like this. Thank you, Leonora. Uh, this next one is from Sion. Sion, Sion. friend of the show. but Sion. yeah, It's Sion. Sion, thank you. Hello, More Saltburn stuff. More Saltburn stuff. Sorry. Hello, James and George. I know you've reviewed it a few weeks ago now, but I finally saw Saltburn italicized. I thought the performances were magnificent. I was unexpectedly taken aback by Alison Oliver's performance as Venetia because, unlike the rest of the cast, I hadn't seen her in anything before. It was overly sexual and explicit, and if there was a reason for it, maybe I would find it more tolerable. And I agree with George that Emerald Fennell has become a, be- has become a better director than writer. Yes. I found that most, if not all, of my favorite film directors also write their films. Greta Gerwig, Richard Linklater, Billy Wilder, Liza Hitman, and more. Who are some of your favorite writer-directors? Are there some that you think would do one better than the other, like Emerald Fennell being a better director? For example, I also find Christopher Nolan to be a better director than writer. I would agree I with would that. also like some TV recommendations. I'm so used to re-watching the same shows that I need something new. Also, And also, it'd be interesting to know what theater, if any, you have seen recently. Oh, As always, keep up the great work. I really enjoy listening to the podcast every week from Sion, London. Sion, well, quite the shopping list of requests there. Yeah, no, um, put to work. Uh, in terms of writer-directors, I mean... Like, I think of off the top of my head. I don't know. Is it? There probably aren't that many top ones. <laughs> I guess Tarantino. Tarantino is probably the best. Probably better. I mean, it's hard to set. It's almost harder to separate him as director and writer because he's all, except for Jackie Brown. He's. I mean, he, which he wrote the script for, but based mm. off a previous thing. Like, it's all in his mind, is in his vision. Like, I've got to give Nolan some, some, and Jonathan Nolan, I guess, some credit for concepts brought to life in cinema i yeah i, I totally st- agree with like problem like tenet oppenheimer yeah i still think apart like the, you have to credit for but look at uh, memento yeah. inception yes like yes i agree even. but but like i like nolan when he's tackling someone mm. else's ideas in his yeah, own way true. so the dark knight trilogy the prestige um but he wrote the dark knight yes but it's based on an existing ip an existing your source yes, material. Yes, true, 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 true. So I, I agree. I know he's written the script. He probably wrote the, wrote the scripts for The Prestige as well, but it's all yeah. based on... I, I, I like it when he's kind of shaping someone else's vision mm. into his own. It's tricky, isn't it? Um, on the Emerald Fennell thing, yeah, I, I, I really do think I would love... To, I would love to see her do something based on a, a different IP. Now, like, in a way, you know where, where, um, how Greta Gerwig is being is doing the Narnia films for Netflix next. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I, oh, I, don't, yeah, we I almost don't want to have Greta Gerwig tied up for five years doing no. Narnia. She's doing all of them. I would almost rather have Emerald Fennell go do the Narnia stuff. Because I go, that that could be interesting. Yeah. That sounds, that's an interesting proposition. Yeah, be fun. Let, let Greta go back to writing, directing. Yeah. Emerald, go and do that. Who do you cast as Mr. Tumnus? In the Emerald Fennell version? Yeah. Barry Kogan. Yeah, you do, you do. With the horns and everything. You know, totally, yeah. That. And then you'd get Rosamund Pike as the Ice Queen. Total. Oh my God. Bourne's place. Right, so it's Richard, Richard E. Grant as Aslan. <laughs> 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 well, 
God, the witch God. and the wardrobe. Just with the maid. With the whole of no cats. I want it mo cats. <laughs> yeah. I want it on all fours, purring. <laughs> Rehearsing today to play Aslan in the wonderful CS Lewis. And I want to get a feet, you know, those like GoPro cameras of just his face. <laughs> yeah. I want the un- uncompressed, raw <laughs> face thing. Uh, uh, yeah. My sister's been listening to the show and she's now finding Richard E. Grant's Instagram really funny. He's brilliant. Have you seen his stuff? In the, people people <laughs> send me Richard E. Grant clips from his Instagram with no content. It's when he's just like jogging. He's like pounding into the new year. <laughs> I uh, I read um, Dolly Alton's new book, Good, uh, Good Material. Yes. And on the front cover is like loads of celebrity endorsements yeah. of the book. And I like read to him, it's like, Ashley B, Stephen Fry, blah, blah, blah. And then there's Richard E. Grant. And I was just laughing because I just read it. It's always completely <laughs> breaks your heart <laughs> and puts it back together. A dazzling piece of our literature. <laughs> Oh, make, oh. See, here's the thing. make it happen get Emerald Fennell to direct Narnia oh. I want to see it now anyway um, this next email is from Dan who says long time listener of the pod back um, sorry this next email is from Dan who says hello James and George slash George and James long time listener of the pod way back when there was food etc wanted to email in about the comfort films and how for myself I find most comfort films I watched when I was young I'm a similar age to you. I'm a similar age to you both, and in my younger years, I had a blast flicking through my parents' mixed collection of VHSs and DVDs. Mm-hmm. Two that I came across have stuck with me forever, though, and I will always say that these are my two favorite films of all time. Not because they're objectively good or perhaps misunderstood, but because they remind me of my younger self, idolizing heroes mm-hmm. uh, that were much lesser known. If I gave you a thousand guesses, I'm certain you wouldn't come close. Genuinely, my two favorite films of all time are James. I've seen the email. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, the Phantom, played by Billy Zane, and The Mask of Zorro. I like The Mask of Zorro. I, I've also... I, I, the Phantom is... I think I know that one. Is Phantom, that the, I don't. Is that the one... Am I getting that confused with The Shadow? The Phantom? I think I've seen it on TV. Is that Alec Baldwin in it? With Billy Zane. Oh, my God. 1997. Look at that. Look at that photo. Wow. Look at that. Oh, my That is. That is. That shot of Billy Zane. It's like a mix between Blade. It looks like a parody. parody, Yeah. That is. It's like Adam West Batman and The Matrix. That is very, very interesting. Um, uh, And The Mask of Zorro. Yep. I bet you haven't thought about these two films in a while. And yes. Mask of Zorro. And yes, I die on the hill defending them every single time. A review of both would be amazing, but I understand if you want to skip them. Look. If it's on the list, it's quite low down. But I mean, the fact is, because I've never really heard of The Phantom, mm. I'm looks- more curious about that. I've heard of Zorro. They yeah. made two, two Zorro films, yeah. Antonio Banderas, I get it. But that looks like a peculiarity. And Anthony Hopkins. Is in The Phantom? No, sorry, in The Mask of Zorro. Oh, I've never seen it, so I don't know. I, um, Just a- if anyone ever grew up with a PSP, they invented this new media format. It's so typical Sony for doing this, which was called AMD discs. They were in a plastic sort of U-shaped casing and had mini discs in them. And so you put your PSP games in the back yeah. of your PSP. But they did release like DVDs as AMDs for the PSP. And I bought like a handful of films to watch on my PSP as if that'd be fun. And one of the films I bought, someone bought for me, I think, was The Mask of Zorro with Antonio Banderas. And so I probably watched that film like maybe six times oh because God. I just had it. That's yeah, um, more than anyone's ever watched that film. I know, clearly not. I oh, mean, no, no, definitely not. I think people love it. But yeah, it was, it was good. I like, I like Mask of Zorro. Okay. Um, Dan goes on to say, my question for you both is, are there any films that you adore from your childhood that are a little bit outside the usual mm. suspects of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Harry Potter, etc.? And do you perhaps have your rose-tinted glasses on like me whenever you watch or talk about them? Mm. Please keep up the good work. I've watched so many great films based on your recommendations and also oh. look forward to your thoughts on each. All the best, Dan from... 
Wales. Um, <laughs> Dan, Dan is from a village which has, I think, the longest village name. Uh, it might Clan be town. Sorry. No, no, I'm not going to. You know what? Should we get Google to say it? I'm not, I don't want to be insulting to this place because it is genuinely... Because he says, P.S., yes, I, I'm actually from this place. Gav would, Gav would help us out right here. Oh, God. It is... That was the weirdest video I've ever seen. Let me, there's, a, there's a video of uh, a, uh, a Liam Dutton, the weather presenter, pronouncing it. And we're going to get it... Just up a second. Right, are we ready? Stand by. But in the sunshine in northwest Wales at RAF Mona, just up the road from Flanbyd, Push Gwingish, Gogeda, Quindrobos, Lantisilio, Gogogogoch. Oh my god. There. <laughs> you win the award for listener from the place of the best name. And that's why I'm just going to say Wales. That, Dan, thank you for your email. This last one for today is from Tom. Tom, who puts the subject helping James to understand wrestling. A couple of weeks ago, I reviewed The Iron Claw, and I thought the film was coming out next month. Coming out next month, which I had lots about it that I liked, but sort of failed to sort of reach the highs I thought it could have. But one of my sort of gripes with it, for me personally as a non-wrestling fan and as a semi-sports film, but also a sort of tragedy, is that I, I don't think the film communicated clearly enough how the very basics of like progression in wrestling works, mm. and it was a little bit lost on me. And the film had a sort of dramatic tension over who would win or who would do better, when in my eyes, it's prearranged. Yes. And I just couldn't really let go of it, even though I, there was a lot about the film that I really enjoyed. And I did ask the sirens to someone who knew wrestling more than me could come in and relieve me of my pain. Tom writes in, says, helping James to understand wrestling. Hi, guys. Tom from a village somewhere in the middle of Norfolk here. Vague. Uh, I'm actually a time traveller. Well, not really, but a friend introduced me to the show, so I started from the beginning. Currently on episode 54, and uh, interested to know if Avatar holds up. <laughs> <Do you> remember <laughs> that one? <laughs> yeah. Have you watched Avatar? Uh, but I also listen to your new episodes for things I've seen or I'm excited to see. But I've just listened to James's review of The Iron Claw and I knew my time to speak had arrived. Welcome. I haven't seen the film yet. Brackets, February 9th seems a long way away, but I'm a long time wrestling fan. From being a child of the late 90s, watching the golden age of The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin in mm -hmm. the early 2000s, I remember seeing John Cena arrive as a plucky underdog in a feud with Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho. And I still watch various forms of wrestling to this day. I think James's issue with understanding how wrestling works is a framing issue. Wrestling isn't something that can be directly compared to something like boxing or MMA. Yes, the fight is important, but wrestling is more like a long-running soap opera. Wrestlers are characters, and long-term storylines are interwoven. On an average wrestling show, like WWE Raw, only about 25% of the show would be made up of matches. The rest of the time is spent advancing storylines. Then the pay-per-view events will be mostly matches, where the storylines either advance or, an, or end. In most cases, the wrestling you can look at like, like an a comic book movie in most cases with wrestling you can look at it like a comic book movie there are always going to be bad guys and the bigger the bad guy is the more they're going to win but you know that in the end a hero will come and take down the villain so in the same way that there are stakes when you're watching the avengers take on thanos there are stakes when watching top baby face brackets good guy take on the top heel bad guy and sometimes you might be annoyed that it was spider-man that took him down because you'd have preferred if it was captain america but as long as the story that gets you there makes sense and is cathartic you'll be satisfied to advance slightly further on the comment george made about how the 
The Rock or John Cena became the top dog. It comes down to a combination of audience reaction and what the boys in the office want. In the case of The Rock, although he was a third generation performer, it took him some time to find a character that connected with audiences. As soon as he found that character, a rocket was strapped to his back. In the case of John Cena, it was a little more of an office thinking that he embodied what they wanted their product to look like. A bit of a cheesy Superman type who'll ruffle the kids' hair and tell them to eat their greens. To get to the top of a wrestler, Sorry, to get to the top, a wrestler really needs athletic ability, charisma, the ability to tell a compelling story, and a whole lot of support from the people who make the decisions. Hope that helps. Keep up the good work. I look forward to the day where I listen in real time and don't find myself mentally composing emails about things you talked about 18 months ago. Tom. Thank you, Tom. That is helpful, and that's all I, roughly what I kind of thought as I stand. The film is in, it's about wrestling and progression. It doesn't quite communicate that to me. So you're, I, 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 I'm still a bit confused how... I haven't seen the Iron Claw, mm. but I assume you have a character in the dressing room being like, God damn it, how are we gonna get through this? How are we gonna all like, yeah. I was so close. I'm thinking, but what would have what what where's the difference? What difference could you have made? He, he, there's moments where they train, like in a Rocky movie, for a fight, where it's like, I have to train hard because I need maybe, to beat. Maybe they're just I guess is, is the key that they're not trying to beat they're not trying to beat the opponent, they're trying to win the audience. Yeah, but you've got the you've got like the technique and the learning and the iron claw. The thing is based off of the name is the maneuver, right? I, so. I could, could have been lost in me, and I'm probably put, putting way too much attention on it than it needs to to, to divert from what the film's really about. But that does sit there for me. Okay, as wondering. The thing is, it now works. it's in my head, and I'll go and see it. And there's even moments when like they're backstage with the person they're fighting with, and they'd be like, "Okay, so you do that, and then you suplex me, and yeah, guys, let's have a good time. Let's do it. Break." And I'm like, oh, okay, so there's like a camaraderie. Yeah. Like, they, I'm, I'm going to fight you, but like, let's all do this and make, don't do that too early because I'm going to have to come in afterwards. Yeah. Cool, that's, that's quite interesting. And then they're enemies, but how do we? Anyway, anyway. I, I, we're, I'm really going on way too long, but that's all the emails for that's today. That's all the emails for We've today. We've got loads, thank, thank you. Thank you very much for sending them in. We'll get to them more next week. We will finish this episode of 2024 with, as usual, James. Okay, thank you. James, time for a game. Before we broke up for the for the holidays last year, I played a new game for you where I it was a spin off of Caster's Countdown. Where oh no, a, a co-star countdown. Yes. Where I basically gave you two actors mm. and you had to tell me yes or no whether they've been in a film together. Okay, okay. I'm just going to combine two actors, you know, and I've, I've made a great great list. Mm-hmm. I, I've found some interesting discoveries in my in my research as well because yeah. I'll put some actors together and then I'll go, let me just check if they ever did do a film together. <laughs> yeah. And I'll go, wait, what? <laughs> um, so that's very interesting. It's quite hard because sometimes you gave me ones that were so ridiculous. I'm like, is this so ridiculous because he's giving me an easy one or is it ridiculous because they have actually that's been in a movie together? That's the fun part of the game. So mm-hmm. the whole game again, I've got two rounds this for you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to name two actors and you have to tell me yes or no whether they've been in a film together okay tell me yes or no did these actors appear in a film together hillary swank and george clooney yes no denzel washington and keanu reeves yes yes much ado about nothing samuel l jackson and gary oldman oh did they do a film i'm gonna say no they did it was true romance (gasps) aaron eckhart and sandra bullock Yes. No. Shit. Winona Ryder and Alec Baldwin. No. Yes. Beetlejuice. <laughs> Christian Bale and Johnny Depp. Oh. No. Yes, they're in Public Enemies, Michael Mann's oh, film. Oh yes, of course. Jim Carrey and Richard E. Grant. Jim Carrey and Richard E. Grant. Gonna say no. No, correct. Yeah. John Malkovich and Ben Stiller. Oh, they are. I gonna say yes. Yes, they're in Empire of the Sun together. Okay. Julia Roberts and Jason Alexander. 
Julia. Ooh, yes. Yes, they're in Pretty Woman together. Yes. And lastly, Kate Blanchett and Nicolas Cage. Kate Blanchett and Nicolas Cage? Oh, he's done so many with things. I'm going to go yes. No. No. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Considering it's 50 50, I didn't do that well. Uh, I thought the Jason Alexander one, Alexander one would throw you, but yeah, he's yeah. quite a big part, actually. In, he's a pre Seinfeld or just done the first season of Seinfeld in Pretty Woman. And he yeah. plays basically a, just a sleazy version of George. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember. Well he done. He tries to like sexually assault her. In the end. Uh, yes, it's very nasty. Yeah. yeah. He's the main antagonist in that movie, but really like they lump all the antagonism on him. Like, for some reason, yeah. he's, he gets really annoyed that Richard Gere's involved with Julia Roberts. It's a really weird, like, uh, culmination to, like, the end of the film to yes. bring some sort of, like, tension in a film that's mostly, like, a nice fantasy. James, I'm going to give you a second round now. Are okay. you ready? James, yes or no, did these two actors appear in a film together? Okay. Three, two, one, Sylvester Stallone and Sarah Silverman. I'd say no. No. <laughs> Zac Efron and Robert De Niro. Yes, bad grandpa. Dirty grandpa. Dirty grandpa. Chris Evans and Killian Murphy. Ooh, Chris Evans and Killian Murphy. I'm going to say, I'm going to guess yes. Yes, in Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Oh, yeah. Jack Black and Madonna. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Margot Robbie and Channing Tatum. Um, I'm going to go no. Robert Downey Jr. and Sarah Jessica Parker. I'm going to go, no. Yes, they were in a movie called Firstborn, and then they dated for seven years. Whoa, okay. Lastly, Michael Caine and Steven Seagal. Oh, I'm going to go, no. Yes, they my, did. They, yeah, it was a <laughs> film called On Deadly Ground. Okay, well, there you there go. There you go. Nice. Those are good. Cast as combos. Yeah, or cast as combos. Co-star combos. Co-star combos. Co-star combos. Co-star combos. Wish I thought of that yeah. before I did it. Yeah, I could have been so <laughs> Co-star combos. combos. That's the new title. For That's me. fun to yeah, say. Um, uh, that film with Steven Seagal and Michael Caine has 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh, that's low. I, re- I, just read, I just finished a book about action heroes and Steven Seagal has talked about that. And um, <laughs> What a strange man. What a strange man. No, I'm not particularly personal. I, I, I'm not relishing watching his films because they look rubbish yeah. and he doesn't seem like a very nice person. No. Seem... Never met the guy. I know things about Steven Seagal. That you make, do. Make, yeah. make, <laughs> make, make, make your hair cry. Yeah. Um, there you go. I, yeah, that was our, <laughs> those were our combos there. That was this episode of Pulp Kitchen. We Don't forget, we have a bonus episode coming out this mm-hmm. week, which is going to be really fun. A quick sort of run through of all the films that we watched over the Christmas period, both mm. new and Caught old. Up with. Exactly. The ones from like sort of October to Christmas period that we missed. And James, what do you say to people at the end of every episode? Guys, don't forget, we post new episodes of this show every single Wednesday. The bonus will be out on Friday. And please continue to like and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And uh, also uh, our YouTube page, we've got loads of stuff on YouTube shorts as well. If you're just a little bit bored, want to kill some time, and you're like, you know what? I've seen all the YouTube videos. I'll watch them on YouTube shorts as mm. well. There's that as well. Mm. Um, please continue to spread the word. We really appreciate all your support. All your emails are so lovely. Mm-hmm. They really do make, a, make us feel good. Guys, the new year was great numbers-wise for us we, in the top 10. So and thank you thanks so much to you. for supporting us in the, the new year. Anyway, enjoy your week. See you then next week. Bye. I did that badly. See you next week then. Good. My brain is broken. I'm hungry. Goodbye. Goodbye.